I am guilty of hyper-focusing on Michigan football and Ohio State football and the game. And that's not necessarily something that's going to majorly change because those two programs are the top two programs in the Big Ten. Right now, I think those two programs are the teams that have the best coaching staffs in the Big Ten from a college football standpoint, though Penn State, Michigan State, Oregon, and a few others could certainly challenge them for that as soon as this season. And they have controlled the Big Ten with an iron fist for much of the Big Ten's history and in the Big Ten's recent memory. Ohio State winning the Big Ten from 2017 to 2020, and Michigan winning the Big Ten since 2021 up until the present. And we'll see if someone can dethrone them in 2024, which is looking ever more likely with Ben Herbert leaving Michigan, Jim Harbaugh leaving. We'll see if anyone enters the portal. But that's something that I am guilty of, and I confess that. And while I don't want to talk less about Michigan and Ohio State, I do want to introduce more conversation about other teams. We like to talk about winners because winning is good and losing sucks. Just ask any Nebraska fan. Losing absolutely sucks. It is life-draining. I, as a Michigan fan, a young Michigan fan at that, who really didn't start paying in-depth attention to college football until 2019, I have not experienced a ton of losing, especially in the previous three seasons. But in the 2020 season, I was totally disconnected from the sport. I entered that season with so much passion, and then Mel Tucker beating Michigan in an empty stadium, and Michael Penix making Don Brown's defense look disgusting, and Paul Christ ramming our program into oblivion in the big house. One and three start totally discombobulated me, and the Penn State game, which turned out to be the final game of Michigan's season in 2020, well, by then, like, okay, I'm done, losing to an 0-5 Penn State team. But I don't want to get too off track on that. The point that I'm trying to make is we like to talk about elite teams, the near-elite teams, the great teams, the legendary head coaches like Nick Saban. We don't talk about disasters at head coach all that often, Brady Hoke, for example. But what I want to do today is I want to talk about three teams that in one frame or another were losers or disasters in 2023 from a Big Ten perspective that I think will improve, that I'm confident will improve in 2024. Not all confidences are created equal. I am more confident in some of these teams than I am others, but I think these teams are destined to get better this season as opposed to last season. Nebraska Finished 5-7 and seven with a 3-6 and six record in conference. They were tied for last with Illinois, Minnesota, and Purdue. All those four teams, 3-6 and six in conference record. Purdue overall had the worst record at 4-8. and eight. Again, 3-6 and six in conference. Michigan State went 2-7 and seven in conference with a 4-8 and eight record. And they had the 131st scoring offense in the country. Only scoring, I think... 15, 15.8, I think's the exact number, points per game. So we're going to dive deep, and I know this is a long introduction, but I want to spend about five or so minutes talking about 
each of these teams and why I think they will improve entering what is going to be a big year, a year full of massive change, not just for the Big Ten, but for college football as a whole. And with the 12-team playoff, I have to interject it, and I probably will in every 2024 college football video because it's a big change. There's going to be so many playoff games to cover, so many reactions, so much conversation, and that really excites me. But welcome back, fellow football fanatics. It's your host, College Football with Sam, and before we dive deep into these teams in a few seconds, I encourage you and direct you to that thumbs up button, the like button. Please click it. And the big red subscribe button, if you're a Nebraska fan, you already know what to do. Hit that to essentially say to me, go Big Red, to show that you're a Nebraska fan. If you're a fan of any other team, whether red or not, you can still show support to your team and to this channel, the best Big Ten football channel on YouTube, by clicking that subscribe button and hitting the notification bell so that you can get notified when I release more content. Please comment three teams of your own, whether they're all from my list, some are from my list, or they're totally different teams that you think will improve in 2024, not just from the Big Ten. Give me some of your own perspective on teams across the country. And finally, if you want to support the channel, you can check out my Patreon page via the link in the description or the pinned comment. Same with my merchandise store where you can get any Big Ten team themed t-shirt, not with the logos or anything because that would be copyrighted, but with the colors, with USC, UCLA, Washington, and Oregon themed college football with Sam t-shirts being released soon. First and foremost, I want to dive in and talk about Purdue. Purdue returns, I believe, this is a very rough estimate, but 12 total starters, four being on offense, including center Gus Hartwig and two other offensive linemen, and quarterback Hudson Card, who is one of the better quarterbacks in the Big Ten West, a division that was just atrocious at that position. Six starters return on defense. I think that Purdue's defense last season, while disastrous at times, obviously, I think that there are players there with some upside. I'm not going to lie. I think Dylan Thieneman is one of the better secondary players in the Big Ten in the country. He's young, registered 106 total tackles, two passes defended, six interceptions, and two forced fumbles. You could have a sophomore slump there just by virtue of how impressive he was at Purdue, but even with a little bit of a coming down to reality, if he does, I think you'd still get good play out of him. Kydron Jenkins returns. He had seven and a half sacks. He was second in the team in that category behind Nick Scorton who transferred to, I think it was Texas A&M, looking at Oklahoma as well. And there are some other players who are making a return on the defensive side of the ball as well, including another young player in Will Held, who had 12 total tackles and made some starts later in the season, or was at least up there on the depth chart at the end of the season. Purdue had so many players exit through the transfer portal. But they do have a top 15 portal class. And I said last season, entering 2023, that I liked Ryan Walters from his introductory press conference, the way he carries himself, how he coordinated an elite defense, specifically an elite secondary at Illinois in 2022. And I thought that it was intriguing to have 
him pairing up with an air raid offense. I thought that that was intriguing, him pairing up with Graham Harrell. And entering 2024, from what I know, Ryan Walters, he's retained his staff, Graham Harrell and Kevin Kane will be there at Purdue for the second season. This is a team that is rebuilding, like Nebraska, for example. Uh, clearly a rebuild year. 4-8, and 3-6. and six. Purdue did have some upsets on their hands, like crushing Minnesota, 49-30. Beating Indiana in a shootout, though I don't think that was an upset. Beating Illinois, 44-19. And winning on the road against a Virginia Tech team that went 7-6 and six and really was pulling everything together at the end of the season. At the end of the year, looking at their final six games, they went, or final seven, including the bowl game, they went 5-2, and two, played competitively with NC State, handily beat Wake Forest, Syracuse, Boston College, Virginia, and Tulane. They had a bad loss on the road at Louisville, but Louisville, when Louisville was humming, and this is the case with Jeff Brom, when they're humming and when they have a game plan, they're unstoppable, but they don't always have a game plan and they're not always humming. And and part of that also relates back to the fact that Jeff Brom's never coached a team with the talent like Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, or even Michigan, Texas, Oregon, but whatever. want to talk about the current Purdue head coach, not the former Purdue head coach. Purdue suffered tons of attrition. For example, they lost T.J. Sheffield to Michigan State in-conference team. They lost Deion Burks, who's just an awesome wide receiver, to Oklahoma, who will have one of the better wide receiver rooms in the country next season. They lost some good players. They lost Corday Seidnor, I think that's how you say his name, to Vanderbilt, Garrett Miller, tight end to Texas A&M. He went there with Nick Scorton. And there were some other players who departed the program as well, but most of them are going to Group of Five or non-FBS programs. Purdue is 15 incoming transfers, the 14th best transfer portal class. They're bringing in Nyland Green, cornerback from Georgia, a Denylan Morissette, wide receiver from Georgia, CJ Madden, edge from Georgia. They're bringing in a, a good amount of Power Five players. Now, along with C.J. Smith, another wide receiver from Georgia, these were not starters, but still a backup in the SEC, specifically at Georgia, really just a backup at Georgia, those higher programs will, in my mind, if utilized correctly, could ball out at a school like Purdue, especially given the fact that Purdue, well, they're going to have a tough schedule next season. I think they play Michigan and Ohio State again, but I don't know for certain. They, they do have areas where they can win. They can, they can go bowling next year with the talent that they have. And I think they'll improve. They're bringing in a few four-stars. They're bringing in Reggie Love III from Illinois. They're bringing in some offensive linemen from, I think that's, what is it, Wolford? No, New Mexico in DJ Wingfield. Got that logo wrong. Joshua Sales Jr., Corey Stewart from Ball State. I like what Purdue's doing in the transfer portal, and I believe in the direction of the program that Ryan Walters is 
on along with his team. So I think Purdue, I'm not as confident in them improving as I am Michigan State and Nebraska, but I do have a level of confidence where I'm going to say they will improve next season, not can they improve next season. I'm going to put a way too early prediction in and say that Purdue does improve from their 4-8 and eight record. And whether that means they go 5-7, and 6-6, six and six, or maybe they go 4-8 and eight again or just barely improve at 5-7, and seven, but they look better, they play teams closer, and they're more consistent, that's what I mean by improving. For Michigan State, I'm more confident that you're going to see them take not just small steps forward, not just them staying on the path instead of waddling on and off and pivoting. I'm confident that Michigan State will go bowling in 2024. I am. I think their non-conference schedule is easier. I think their schedule period amen is easier because they're not facing Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State in the same season. Some of those tougher opponents got rotated out. And the Spartans, heck, they returned 16 starters. And it's better that they return the majority of their starters on defense compared to offense because the offense stunk last season. It did. The offense was the inferior part of the team. And it was, again, in 2022. What we learned last season is that while Mel Tucker and that whole sexual harassment scandal was bad. It was. You could also look at it in a positive light from a football standpoint only. We don't like it when bad stuff happens to anyone. From a football standpoint, if you're Alan Haller, you look at how the team performed in 2023, and it's clear that Mel Tucker wasn't building anything. So if he wasn't building anything, it's better that you get all your money back and that you could kick him right out the door. And that's exactly what happened, essentially. In fact, Alan Haller wanted to suspend him before the season even began, but the Michigan State, I believe it was the board, didn't go along with that. And whether that would have made all that much of a difference, I don't know. But the fact is, Michigan State returns players, and many of them, I think, are underrated players, dare I say it. Michigan State, for example, returns Simeon Barrow, who I think is a good defensive tackle. They return Jordan Hall, true freshman linebacker who picked up four and a half sacks. Simeon Barrow, by the way, had three and a half sacks. Derek Harmon comes back at defensive tackle. He had 40 total tackles and also a pass defended and a forced fumble. Michigan State's defense and Scotty Hazleton's defense more specifically as Joe Rossi's defense coming in is going to be different in one way or another. Scotty Hazleton's defense last year I thought was better than the defense prior. Now, I don't think Hazleton is a good coordinator by any stretch of the imagination, but Hazleton didn't leave the cupboard bare, I don't think, particularly at defensive line. And I think that this secondary last season, despite once again being a a bad unit to be frank, at least has higher ceiling players, higher quality players compared to any previous Mel Tucker secondary. I think you can build a D'Antonio-esque secondary based off of the talent that is in this defensive back room right now. I do. Um, for example, you have players like Dylan Tatum, who is a four-star out of high school. You have Charles Brantley is coming back. You have... 
I forget if it's Jaron or, yeah, not Jaron Mangum, Jaden Mangum, their brothers. Jaron Mangum is a running back who announced his return. He's good in short yardage. Michigan State also returns Nathan Carter, but we're talking about defense here for a few more seconds. There's a lot of potential that Michigan State has, and with a a coaching staff and a head coach that I think in every category or most categories are top 10. I think it's an elite staff, one of the best overall staffs in the country. They will compete in the Big Ten starting next season. Will they compete for the Big Ten title? Absolutely not, barring an act of God next season. But they will compete in games. I think that they will exceed preseason expectations. And with improvements made to the coaching staff, And the roster, again, through the portal, Aiden Childs is coming in. He's better than Noah Kim, Kaden Hauser, and Sam Leavitt. Tanner Miller, all Pac-12 offensive linemen transferring in from Oregon State. He's transferring in. Jordan Turner, linebacker coming from Wisconsin. Jack Velling, an elite tight end. Tommy Schuster transferring in to add quarterback depth. Luke Newman coming in from Holy Cross at offensive tackle. And T.J. Sheffield transferring in from Purdue. He was Purdue's second-best receiver behind Deion Burks last season. And that's no shame in that, because Deion Burks is a great wide receiver. So with improvements made to the roster, with retaining experience, all this goes together, and how can Michigan State not improve, I guess is my question. I don't think there's any reason to believe that this team won't improve. And this offensive line for Michigan State, Elite offensive line coach, Velling is a great tight end, and Nathan Carter, I mean, the fact that he was only 202 rushing yards short of 1,000 behind an offensive line that gave up 25 sacks and an offense that didn't even score 17 points a game, it says a lot. Nathan Carter's a good running back, and you saw that from game one where he was making something out of nothing. He's not Kenneth Walker, at least he wasn't last season, But if Smith can give him a good scheme and a good offensive line, he's easily a 1,000-yard rusher next season. And combining him with Jaron Mangum, Jalen Berger, and Childs as a mobile quarterback, Michigan State could have a run game that is a force to be reckoned with next season. So I think the Spartans improve. I'm confident in that. Next up, we have the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Nebraska was so close so close to going bowling. They entered November with a 5-3 and three record. Any power ranking system imaginable would have projected them to go bowling, just from a mathematical probability standpoint. Nope. 0-4 in November. They lost to that same Spartan team that I just told you a few seconds ago didn't even score 17 points a game. They lost to that team. And that Spartan team passed the ball on them, ran the football on them. They sacked Heinrich Harburg like almost, I think it was more than five times. They did to Heinrich Harburg what Nebraska did for context to Shadur Sanders, where they just, they they constantly got to him. Gobs and gobs of sacks. And the Maryland game, the, the turnovers, just utter embarrassment. And then when the Huskers got good QB play with Chubba Purdy, well, what happened there? Well, then Wisconsin and Iowa physically imposed their will in the ground game and used their offense to abuse 
what was and is a good, great Nebraska defense. But Nebraska was suffering through injuries, and look, last year was obviously going to be a rebuild. I didn't think Matt Rule needed to go 7-5 and five or 8-4 and four to have a good season. And I didn't expect him to go 8-4. and four. I predicted 7-5 and five and was wrong, but I predicted it with the mindset that this schedule was more doable than in previous seasons. And they didn't go 7-5. and five. They went the inverse of 7-5. and five. They went 5-7. and seven. But it's clear that Matt Rule wants to be physical. It's clear that the strength and conditioning is working this time, that offensive line development is working, that the defensive coaches are doing a great job. These were all things that weren't evident or obviously evident in the previous tenure, that of Scott Frost. And returning 19 total starters, two on special teams, by the way, I forgot to mention this for Michigan State, but Jonathan Kim coming back, not going to mention it too much because we're talking about Nebraska now, but that's big. I mean, Jonathan Kim was a good kicker last season, and having him back provides a big boost for a team that will probably find themselves in plenty of close games where they need a kicker to win or to extend the game. 19 total starters return, though. Nine on offense, eight on defense. And, and by starter, I mean players that have started in five, six, seven games or by the end of the season were in starting roles. For Nebraska, offensively, none of the starting quarterbacks except Heinrich Harburg return, but he counts as a starter because he was the quarterback that was played the most. In fact, he led the team in rushing yards, which is just insane. At receiver, Alex Bullock returns. Malachi Coleman returns. He started six games, so he counts as a starter. Thomas Fedoni at tight end returns. Uh, ben Scott at center returns. Same with C Turner Corcoran and Bryce Benhart on the offensive line and some others there. Micah Mezcua comes in from the transfer portal from Florida. At running back, Emmett Johnson returns, along with the previously injured Gabe Irvin Jr., Ramir Johnson. Uh, Joshua Fleeks comes back. I, I think Anthony Grant? No, I don't I don't know if he's eligible or not. I don't think he is. I don't think he's eligible. But Nebraska's going to have a lot of depth on offense. And through the transfer portal, again, there's a common theme with all of these teams that they're using the portal well. Nebraska has the lowest-ranked transfer portal class. But with how much production they're returning and how close they were to, let's say, going 8-4 and four last season, and they have a good recruiting class, I can understand why they're being more selective about the portal this time around. Nebraska's bringing in Jamal Banks from Wake Forest, all-ACC honorable mention wide receiver. They're bringing in Isaiah Nair at wide receiver from Texas. Dante Dowdell is transferring in from Oregon. They're bringing in Bly Hill at cornerback from uh, St. Francis. And they're bringing in Stephon Thompson from Syracuse at linebacker. And again, Micah Mezcua, who I think's probably outside of Jamal Banks, the best incoming transfer for this Nebraska team, or at least the most impactful. Brian Buscini and Tristan Alvano, punter and kicker, return on special teams. And on defense, Nash Huttmacher returns. MJ Sherman returns. Tommy Hill comes back. Marquise Buford returns. And there are other players who I'm not even, not even mentioning on defense. 
who come back to shun Singleton, for example. I think that Nebraska, with this much returning production, with their identity continuing to be constructed by the staff, Matt Rule retaining Tony White, that was huge. And then he brought in Glenn Thomas to help Marcus Satterfield out with the offense and also take the responsibility of coaching the quarterbacks, which I think is good. And that's a move that I respect, especially when you have Dylan Riola, a five-star quarterback coming in as a part of the 2024 recruiting class. When you have him coming in, you need to make sure that you develop him right. Because if Dylan Riola doesn't win anything of significance, and by that I mean he doesn't bring Nebraska football back while he's there, that's going to be put on Matt Rule. So I like him taking initiative and this program taking initiative. Last year was a foundation-building season for Nebraska. I think they can break through this year. And by breakthrough, I mean top 25 team. Am I that confident that I'm going to say they will be a top 25 team this year? No, maybe I will be by spring, but I'm confident that like Michigan State, Nebraska is going to go bowling, which means at minimum 6-6, six and six, and I'm thinking they're going to be better than 6-6 six and six, given what should be a relatively easy start to their schedule, where their September and early October slate, they could go undefeated in their first, I think, six or seven games. I think Ohio State is their eighth game or maybe their seventh. I forget. But that's what I wanted to talk about in this video is three teams in the Big Ten, Purdue, Michigan State, and Nebraska, that I am confident will improve next season. Thank you all so much for watching this video. Remember to like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell. Thank you to Crash2488 for sponsoring this video as a Heisman patron. Thanks to Spencer Bringhurst for sponsoring this video as an All-American patron. And thanks to Will Loftus, Gabriel Callender, Roaming Gnome, Matthew Sale, Chris Lane, Austin Christmas, and Zubin Zah for sponsoring this video as an all-conference patron. If you're listening on Spotify, please make sure to follow the channel and have a great day.